0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hi, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. We are re-airing our special January 2022 Pro-Life broadcast. Why? Well, like you, I'm hoping Roe versus Wade is reversed later this month, but I want you to know that the pro-life challenge will not go away if Roe is reversed. In fact, it may dramatically increase. Today, I'd like to talk about two mega challenges ahead for the pro-life movement. I'm gonna start with the Christian Woman Challenge. and. Again, the Supreme Court is due for a decision in June that may or may not reverse or partially reverse Roe versus Wade. But whatever happens, these challenges that we're going to be talking about today need to be faced. For instance, I just read a report this morning that even though Texas has put on some great restrictions on abortion clinics and surgical abortions, nearby Oklahoma is being flooded with women going from Texas to Oklahoma to have abortions. So when things return to the states, there's still a necessity to win hearts and minds so they don't get in a car or a plane and go somewhere else for an abortion, but you want to actually stop it at the point of wanting to make the decision. And the Christian woman challenge is this, Back in 2015, there was a survey of women who had had an abortion and found that 36% of women were attending a church, a Christian church, one or more times a month at the time of their first abortion, okay? Even more shocking, according to Alan Guttmacher Institute, that's kind of the arm of Planned Parenthood, They track abortion data as carefully as they can. Catholic women of childbearing age were 29% more likely than Protestant women of the same ages to have abortions. Or to put it simply, Catholic women have about 31% of the abortions in the United States and taking the Alan Guttmacher total abortions in the United States, and 31% of that, is 274,869 abortions by Catholic women. That's pretty serious. And I realize that as pro-lifers, we do all kinds of things, public service announcements and billboards and try to educate the community and influence public life through politics, pro-life politics, but there's something we can do that's right in our midst. Um, Women who are going to our parishes, Protestant women who are going to their congregations are still getting abortions in an alarming rate. And what can we do to dramatically reduce the rate of abortions among Christian women? I think some investigation needs to be done because, let's just take it home for Catholic women, when 31% of those getting an abortion in the United States are Catholic women, I think we can conclude that whatever we're doing in our parishes and our Catholic pro-life efforts and various groups in the church and in our communities, we need to do something differently when so many are getting abortions. I came across a book recently, I think it was written by a pastor's wife, I'm not sure she is, but it's a book entitled What Women Wish Pastors Knew, and I was given by Kindle a free first chapter of that book, and uh, you know, that's very interesting. In other words, uh, these were committed Christian women. It was written from a Protestant viewpoint, but the whole book was filled with very important things that these women felt were overlooked by their pastors and their sermon topics and such like that. And just in case, this is just a tidbit, but the number one issue of these Protestant women surveyed was exhaustion. And I mean, real exhaustion, particularly the young mothers. So that was just something going on. But So what would we do? And again, we have to do something differently rather than what we've already have in mind to do, because we need change. I think it's obvious by the statistics. I would suggest that a parish priest and or a lay person expert meet with a core group of Catholic women to map out strategies that would encourage pregnant women to avoid abortion. In other words, What could our parish do to dissuade women from having an abortion? Now, I'm then a volunteer, a friend of mine, and I didn't okay this. But my friend Ken Davison, who is the founder of the Holy Heroes Materials for Children, great stuff, by the way, uh, Ken worked in his past for Procter & Gamble. And Procter & Gamble is one of the most thoroughly researched corporations uh, who have focus groups like the one I'm trying to describe, composed of Catholic women, they, they research their product and what exactly would appeal and their message to get across to someone before they go on a national marketing campaign. So somebody like Ken with this type of research background, again, some of our ideas may not actually appeal to them. I would uh, definitely get in contact with women who have had an abortion, uh, particularly the Project Rachel women, but maybe even some other women who haven't even gotten there where the Project Rachel women are to figure out what could be done to dissuade women. And most of the women that I've read and some of the research on this type of thing knew that the Catholic Church doesn't allow abortion, but they went ahead and did it. So how can we help them, dissuade them? Uh, The other thing that I would recommend is that uh, maybe a couple times a year, because, you know, some of these women may only be attending mass once or twice a month, so you want to try to catch them. But say a couple times a year, you have somebody from Project Rachel um, at the, towards the end of the mass, you know, give her three or four minutes. Um, And again, we just don't want to Uh, kind of a monotone announcement. You want somebody who has been there, no notes, looking the the parish straight in the eye, straight from the heart, and tell that, you know, abortion at the time seemed like the easiest and best decision, and it really wasn't, and then explain what alternatives, good alternatives, there might be. And we have to be creating some strategies. I'm not saying what they are, but I would that's why I mentioned this book, What Women Wish Pastors Knew, the the author of this book went and actually researched and interviewed Christian women to find out what their struggles were, particularly those being overlooked by their pastors and we have to in the Catholic Church figure out what we can do. We're not doing it like we should be when Catholic women are having 31% of the abortions in the United States. okay? That's a mega challenge. and now you might call this the mega mega challenge, facing the pro-life movement. And again, I don't I, I've been knocked around a little bit by surprises, both on the state and national level. And so you don't quit. But I'm very concerned that there could be discouragement where right now enthusiasm. There's enthusiasm that Roe Wade could be reversed. And we should be glad and enthusiastic about that, but we could also be facing another mega challenge that we just haven't really thought much about that could just slam into the pro-life movement. And I would actually say, is slamming into the pro-life movement even as I speak. A great pro-life organization, it's not the biggest, not probably the most well-known, but is a group called the American Life League. And since, one of the things American Life League will do as a pro-life organization is they will connect the challenge from the birth control contraception with the abortion problem. You think, well, what what do they have to do with each other? I'm going to describe in a moment. But Father Paul Marks, uh, who was, he's deceased now, but he was the founder and president of Human Life International, he traveled to 85 countries around the world. And he said, invariably, when the push comes to introduce basically the sexual revolution, contraception comes first, and then it is followed by abortion. And this has happened in the 85 countries he's visited around the world. But listen to this, since 1965, An average of, and this is according to the American Life League, 11 million women have used abortifacient methods of birth control. And by that, I mean the abortifacient methods of birth control have two mechanisms to prevent conception, or if conception takes place, it has a backup mechanism, which is abortifacient, that prevents the implantation of that tiny conceived baby into the mother's womb, okay? And so American Life League has worked with some pharmacy experts and tried to compute how frequently the backup methods of the birth control would have caused a very early abortion, and they estimate that there have been 14 million, chemical abortions occurring in the United States each year since 1965, and if you add that up, they estimate around 610 million chemical abortions due to that backup mechanism between 1965 and 2009. That means already what has happened not what will happen or challenges we could face, but what has actually gone on is that the, the backup abortion effect of the birth control pill has an abortion rate of 10 times that of surgical abortions, 10 times greater. And yet, one of the things that um, I was trying to find my way through life, <laughs> and I was a uh, Protestant pastor and very pro-life, involved in all types of pro-life things. But when I found out that the birth control pill could have an abortifacient effect, I was absolutely stunned. And I was stunned a second time that most of the major pro-life organizations were really, really shy about saying anything about this. It just they went silent. And that's why, when I became a Catholic, I wrote a handful of letters. One of those went to Father Marx at Human Life International, thanking him for telling me the truth. Because, yes, I was against surgical abortions and tried political direct action, picketing, sidewalk counseling. I did all of that. But yet, at the same time, I was blindsided of what could be going on at a 10 times greater rate than surgical abortions. Now, you might ask yourself, how in the world did we get Roe Wade? You know, did it just pop into somebody's mind on the Supreme Court? Well, you see a very direct correlation. In 1965, notice the American Life League starts their stats with 1965, in 1965, the United States Supreme Court had the Griswold versus Connecticut case, and they said the right to privacy, which they invented, somehow they found those thoughts in the Constitution, even though those thoughts didn't have words in the Constitution, that there is a right to privacy for contraceptive use for married couples. That was 1965. Then. In 1972, the Eisenstadt versus Baird case, again, from the Supreme Court, took the same invented right to privacy and said, now contraceptives can be used by the unmarried. All right. And then a year later, 1973, Roe versus Wade legalized abortion based on the right to privacy from the Griswold decision in 1965. So that's where this came from. And what Father Paul Marks of Human Life International said about the spread of abortion to the world starts with the contraception. Even the legal history of Roe versus Wade goes right back to a contraceptive Supreme Court decision and where I'm going, I'll tell you where I'm going with all this, what goes around comes around. Uh, We think we can just ignore the contraceptive challenge, even though there's 14 million chemical abortions each year from the birth control pill, we're now going to face a second wave of challenges, mega challenges from the chemical abortion pill. I'm not talking now about the birth control pill, I'm talking about a pill for abortions, like known as RU46 or the at-home abortion pill or the self-managed abortion pill. It's the abortion of a baby, typically in the first trimester using powerful drugs and creating an early abortion. And if Roe versus Wade is overturned, it will probably leave the first dozen or so weeks open game for abortions. And the chemical abortion pill could be the second wave of abortions. And even though surgical abortions and abortion clinics could be shut down, uh, we could be really blindsided by something coming at us. The Operation Rescue Group uh, tracks statistics on the number of clinics operating in the United States. And also, the number of clinics and organizations dispensing the chemical abortion pill. Now, the good news is that the number of surgical abortion clinics has been declining for 13 years. And since 2009, the number of clinics have declined by over one third, which is great news, but at the same time, the clinics have been shutting down, there's been a a 44% rise in telemedicine for dispensing the abortion pill. Did you get that? 44% rise. So it's kind of like a seesaw, okay, on one side, the left side of the seesaw, it's going down, 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 13 years, 37%. Oh, it could go down even more with uh, the June 2022 Supreme Court decision. Oh, it's all over. No, it's not over. We're ready to start a fight for our life here for the lives of babies coming up because what's happening while the surgical clinics are going down, the telemedicine dispensing of the abortion pill itself directly designed to cause abortion is going up, and it's going up even faster than the decline of clinics. Now, To make matters worse, during the Chinese virus lockdown, the FDA dispensed with the requirement that a woman desiring the chemical abortion pill had to visit a doctor or a clinic to be prescribed this chemical abortion pill. It said, well, because of the lockdown, people can't get to see their doctors and stuff. So the chemical abortion pills during the lockdown could be simply sent through the mail. Now, recently, the Biden FDA has permanently lifted that rule. So we no longer in the United States is it required to have a doctor's supervision for the distribution of abortion pills. And this is a pretty serious step. And a woman is home alone with a medication. She may be almost 90% unfamiliar with the process of what's going to happen. And so we've seen the surgical abortion rate declining in the United States, yet the number of chemical abortions is increasing faster than the number of surgical abortions are decreasing. I'm saying this is the future. It's kind of like... um, I understand Zoom stock kind of went down after the lockdowns were over, but Zoom isn't going away. Everybody learned how to use Zoom to talk to their doctor, to talk to their friends, to uh, have teleconferences and everything else. And As a result, Zoom is here to stay. Telemedicine is here to stay. And this is telekilling because it's really not medicine. Medicine is to save, heal, and preserve life. And now the dispensing of chemical abortion pills in the United States has increased over 400% just between 2001 and 2017. And the number of abortion clinics using telemedicine to dispense the abortion pill has risen 44% last year. 44%. So we need to be a, a very cautious, not just a bit cautious, thinking that this whole fight is over. We need to know the challenges. You know, I'm living here in South Carolina, we've got a pretty good football team at Clemson University. <laughs> least in my humble opinion, sometimes Clemson loses its easiest game when they can go up against somebody like Alabama and beat them. Why is that? They think it's gonna be an easy walk, okay? It's gonna be an easy game. And one of the jobs of a coach is to make sure the players are up to the challenges they face. And what I see a lot of is a lot of talk by the June decision coming up by the Supreme Court a lot of enthusiasm, and, you know, we got this, the pro-life movement, after 49 years, we're finally reaching our goal. No, we haven't, because another front has opened up that's going to have the potential to be even more comprehensive than the abortion clinics. You can anonymously go on your computer, click, 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 and to telemedicine, get that birth control pill. And again, there'll be no sidewalk counselors Um at your mailbox. This is, again, why going back to my first point today, while we need to really touch and win the hearts of women, and we need to reach out to them in ways, in winsome ways, that will convince them not to turn to abortion as an easy fix. So we have work to do. Now, what is going to happen? And this is, I've seen Uh, indications of this, even how the pro borts are describing the chemical abortion pill. You see, pro-life legislators and definitely the majority of pro-life leaders run from the question of contraception, even though many of them know, and I'm talking about the pro-board politicians know this too, that there can be an abortifacient effect the birth control pill, nobody's going to touch that. I mean, when's the last time you heard a, a solid portion of a homily about it in a winsome way? Why you shouldn't do it. I mean, even in the church, we're not talking about it. Pro-life movement, the majority of organizations, significant majority, aren't talking about it. But I, I'll tell you, this is my twenty-five cent prediction of what's going to happen that the chemical abortion pill will not be termed that. It will be termed as simply providing women with a further form of contraception for reproductive health. And for all those pro-life groups, all those Protestant and Catholic priests, Protestant pastors, Catholic priests, who are mum about contraception, are going to be faced with a huge dilemma because the next wave of abortions, which could be just as large or larger than surgical abortions, is going to have to deal with the contraceptive issue. And so we want to restore the sanctity of life for pre-born babies. It's not over yet. In fact, we have some really big challenges, starting with our own people winning the hearts and minds. And we may, again, need to focus and get some groups and get some input from focus groups to know how to craft a message that will really reach hearts and minds. But I can tell you this, the pro-life movement and Christians are gonna have to stop sidestepping the contraceptive question because it is going to be the question of abortion in the future just the contraceptive pill will be just another further type of option for those wanting contraceptive use. And legally, if a woman, say, doesn't take a pregnancy test and fears she is or thinks she is pregnant, she could just get that further type of contraception, which in reality is an abortion pill. And so (laughs) the abortion pill and birth control pill Are two sides of the same coin, and in the very near future, we're going to be facing this. We need to remember what the pro-life movement should stand for, and if you want kind of some good marching orders, how about section 2270 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church? It reads like this, human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. From the first moment of his existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person. And it's really interesting. I'm not going to do it today, but do you realize in the early church and the Roman Empire, the church fathers dealt with this. One of the major means of abortion was taking drugs poisonous drugs to kill the baby growing inside a mother's womb, and it seems like we're coming back to exactly what the early church faced. They trans- transformed their culture. I trust we can do the same. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family Radio.